talk reminded me of my experience in 1998 in Quebec during the ice storm. And uh, discover how important it is to have emergency prepared. My question is, is the, um, the role of armed forces on your agenda? Because in Quebec, uh, they came in en masse and helped us a great deal. And uh, if you know the province of Quebec, federal armed forces was not on our favorite people's list in a lot of Quebecois. So uh, that really restored the respect for the armed forces during the ice storm. So do you have any uh, plan or calling in armed forces is on your agenda? Thanks, and that's a good question because we ha do have a great solid reserve group here in Lethbridge. And yes, we do. The only way we can access the mil military is actually through the province of Alberta uh, directly, and they can issue um, the request to the military. And it typically takes some time for that, several hours to clear that uh, authority. And then it takes some time for the military to get their logistics in place, um, whether it be for aircraft, helicopters, or heavy equipment, and or just personnel. So it takes time for those folks to muster. Uh, what we try to do as well is we'll establish uh, support um, on a local level through other municipal uh, uh, business units in the city as well as other organizational groups that uh, interact with the city. So there are some uh, what we'll call foot, uh, foot resources or foot soldiers, if you will, that are part of our community already. So they're all listed in our plan. And, uh, and thanks for the plug for Red Cross if you're interested. Another really important group is... Um, is these large community groups that are, are organizations or clubs like Lethbridge uh, Search and Rescue Organization, they need support as well to support their membership locally on the ground. But in answer to your question, yes, we do have that link through the province. Uh, uh, my name is Trevor Page. Uh, Brian, thanks for a very interesting presentation. Um, you know, the landscape of southern Alberta seems to be changing quite a bit. And um, I'm wondering how the emergency services would respond to um, a release of sour gas, uh, specifically H2S, hydrogen sulfide, emitted from uh, some of these fracking wells that we've got. How would you respond to those? Um, oil spills as well, trucks turned over with fracking fluids and that kind of thing. You know, there were kids in the Kainai Middle School that all got sick a few weeks ago as a result of a blowout. Um, you have to act pretty quickly with these things and how are you equipped to do that? Good and good question. I'll break it down in two parts to answer that. Uh, one is on the, uh, let's say, the liquid side of the petrochemical industry as well. All carriers are required to have an emergency plan in the event of a spill. But if you can imagine, there would be one driver operator that would notify us as the emergency agency if it happened in the city of Lethbridge. So our primary responsibility is the city of Lethbridge proper on the highways. Through Lethbridge, we see transportation of dangerous goods may be involved in oil field or manufacturing. 
We've recently uh, commissioned our hazardous materials response team. We have the type of detection um, and technologies that we can actually set up our zone, which we would call our hot zone or the area that we need to ensure is evacuated. We can really just deal with the primary hot zone. It's not our responsibility to do the long-term mitigation and cleanup. That becomes the responsibility of the uh, organization that spilled the chemical. Hopefully they're um, uh, responsible company professionals and that they bring in resources quickly. Our, our objectives are primarily to deal with it from entering the waterway, causing any adverse environmental or life threat, uh, immediate threat to life and health. We have new detection equipment that we've uh, put into some of our, um, our vehicles. Uh, and we can detect H2S gas by the parts per billion. And we have a system which is called SAFER, and it takes the, uh, the chemical with the weather information, including the sun, the solar radiation, and the evaporation, and it will model out how far that plume or toxic material may go if it's a gaseous product or it's emitting vapors that will cause adverse to effects to human health. Uh, we work with our partners at Alberta Health Services, linked in with the province through uh, Calgary, who has another air monitoring unit, so we can actually go out, make sure we establish a very clear hot zone, and control it. On the fracking and the H2S gas side, every oil well that's drilled and is fracking has to have an ERP emergency response plan that includes immediate threat to the folks that live in that immediate area. They are included in a, uh, an emergency alert system, be it an automated fan-out system, and they actually have to provide uh, proof that they have an emergency response plan that designates every single residence, how many people are in that residence, including pets and things like this. Those emergency response plans, when they're close to the city, are always provided to us as an emergency response agency. We don't get them if they're in the neighborhood of uh, Pincher Creek or uh, down by Manyberries. Those are given at the local level. So those ERPs are to be done. Um, then again, we also have to be able to respond and work in unison with those agencies in the oil and gas sector. So they have to work within our incident command system. And that's, again, one of the points I mentioned earlier is unifying the same language across the tables all throughout Alberta. And that's one piece, I would say, that needs to be done and done very quickly and tracked and monitored that everyone who works in an emergency operations center is speaking the same language. That's the incident command system language so that we're all talking on the same level, whether you're from private industry or um, a public sector or another, another government agency. Um, in some events, we can deal upwards of 13 or 14 different government ministries um, in one particular event. So we deal with federal fisheries and oceans. We deal with uh, um, Alberta environment. And within Alberta environment, there's three or four different streams of experts they have there. So... We are capable, and, and our system really is a primary response system to deal with the emergency, maybe remove the driver, decontaminate the driver, and provide very, very basic uh, site containment, and then we would move on to a larger-scale event, and cleanup would take over several days. But we do have lots of chemicals that travel through the city by rail and road that are on their way to manufacturing industries in Alberta and also leaving Alberta that are very dangerous chemicals. We're quite well aware of them, and we work very closely. We work with our partner at CP Rail um, about when we have events occur and also training um, we have the technology to bring in uh, video feed of anything on an emergency site. We can send that down to uh, Pennsylvania or any of the one of the expert hazardous material centers in uh, North America and give them live video feed of tanker cars, leaking vessels. We can show them the device that's leaking. We can talk to the expert on our satellite uplinks now. Technology has taken us so much further and making us so much stronger. But again, it's just technologies and it only works 
um, as long as things line up and everything works on the technology side. So um, we rely heavily on technology, but we, you, you need to know we're there. We do have the ability to, to sense chemicals down to the parts per billion now. My name is Frances Schultz. I would just like to thank you very much for your enlightening us on what you have to deal with in these emergencies because I think that for most of us here today, we're not aware of the, all the complications that are involved in your job, especially in, in drastic situations. I have two questions. Number one, I would like to know um, how much change there has been in, in the um, passage of information on about anything that's happening, if, if, if that has only happened in this last instant that you saw Twitter and, tweet, Twitter and Facebook. See, I'm not on Twitter because I can't even say it. But <laughs> if, if how much influence that has had in complicating your problems. And my second question is, is there the possibility for police to give tickets, fines, or whatever to the, the voyeurs that come out to look and get the thrill seekers to see what's going on. Yeah, I'd clap, but it's... <laughs> I think if you um, take a look at the last events, and you'd, you'd certainly recognize we did see a huge uh, press on the public information site. It's actually been there for a while. So we did see that during uh, earthquakes in other parts of the world where people were using their iPhones to take photographs of actually what was occurring right at the event of the earthquake in, uh, in I think it was Christchurch, New Zealand, where they actually brought in information that was uh, Google-sourced by the folks that had created a website immediately after the events to register themselves so their families knew they were fine. And it was very effective. And, and we now are bringing that into emergency preparedness planning. We have a joint uh, uh, partnership with all the other large municipalities in Alberta. That's Red Deer, Strathcona County, Red um, Grand Prairie, Fort McMurray, Calgary, and Edmonton. We have a monthly conference call. And this is one of the very topics that we are very interested in and in how to maximize the potential of that social media information. Everyone's got an iPhone. They're transmitting data all the time. How can we get in line with that and how can we benefit using some of that stuff? So that's one of the basic topics. You'll see that on some conference uh, 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 agendas in the next few years. And, and in the city, I think we've grasped that very well. I know our communications staff are saying to me, what do you want me to put on Twitter? What do you want me to put on Facebook? And that's a primary question I'm getting right now as soon as I sit down at the table with emergency uh, uh, operations center, the mayor saying, has that gone out on a public service announcement? Has that gone out on Twitter yet? So we're really pushing that stream. On the police side, I, how about we just taser him right out the gate? <laughs> and, and yes, we can. The, ol the only challenge there is there, it, it's such a long stream to go through. And I'm not the chief of police, but I know that, that we saw that sort of thing with the Vancouver riots and how do we manage getting people aware of that. And it's just in, in venues like this, in my face in the media, my team talking to the public all the time, making sure they understand we don't need you to become part of the emergency. Actually, we have lots of ability to send you information. And our partners in the media have done a fabulous job of getting information out quickly. And that's the stream we feed first. 
we can't look after you when you show up on a scene. And you all know this, so I'm not going to lecture you. But police do have the ability to ticket, and it even gets better if we go into a local state of emergency. We can seize your car and take your dog and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we do have a lot more powers. We did not go into a local state of emergency because uh, my team, there's a couple here, did a great job of knocking down the fire and said, uh, you know, we don't need that, Chief. We're, we're, we're in control, and the fire's under control. So... Police do have lots of power, um, but we, we wouldn't have enough paddy wagons to hold all the folks that showed up that day to help help with getting getting that information on YouTube. Thank you. Thank you so so very much for coming and for your talk. I'm Bev Mundell Atherstone, and I was one of the people evacuated. Uh, so thanks to your team and everyone who came in. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about our experience because um, the rubberneckers were really um, a hindrance. On Sundays, we usually have our daughter come over and have lunch with us, so we had gone to the north side to pick her up from Sunset Acres. That was shortly after 3. When we came back, there were only sort of two roads we can take to get get out to our place. One is uh, Hoop Up Drive north, I mean west, and um, one is the further north of us. And we couldn't, we couldn't understand why there was so much traffic <clears throat> until we came very close to our place, and there was about a half a mile of smoke that we had to go through to get to Sunset Acres as we were traveling south. But there were cars everywhere, cars parked along the side of the roads, cars lined up, and we were trying to get to our house. Um, the, very, the very first road into Sunset Acres was totally filled. There were media at the end. They were taking pictures of the fire. Then we went down our road, Sunset Strip, and that was packed as well. We could hardly get to our house. <clears throat> we finally got inside, and, we, and we, could see, we could see the fire on the reserve. We got in the house, and then we got two phone calls. <laughs> One was from Frances Schultz, who's right here, and she said, the fire has jumped the river, and I can see, we can see it from our house, and uh, you, you've been evacuated. And we didn't know we were evacuated. Then I got a phone call from another friend. She said, we just heard on the radio, you're evacuated. Well, no one had come to our house, and here's all the, all the cars parked everywhere, so we could hardly even get out of our driveway. So when you're told you're evacuated, you know, you, you grab stuff, and your plan is good. Um, we had five minutes to leave, so we grabbed our passports, and in our passport bags we have money, and we grabbed... Um, overnight bag just with pajamas. Our, gr our daughter lives on the north side, so we figured we'd go to her house. We grabbed the roast we were going to put in the oven. <laughs> we grabbed the cat, put her in the kennel. She was not amused. <laughs> and we took our two cars, and then we left. But as we, just before we left, my husband had been out on the, on the coulee, and uh, this, as he walked out, there were cars everywhere on the coulee. Like, they had opened the gate that's normally locked, and cars went out on the, onto the coulee, so that would be west of our house, where the sparks were flying from the fire that had jumped the, the river. And um, people that were coming back from the edge of the coulee said to Henning, um, uh, you better be careful. We can see that the sparks are 50 feet to the east of you. In other words, the fire could be burning ahead of where, you know, dividing him from being able to get back to the house. So he came back quickly, and that's when we evacuated. <clears throat> The, the number of people that were hindering the operation was unbelievable. So I guess my first question is, um, when, you, when you plan your emergency preparedness, or even before that, like now, while we're still in the throes of this, 
people should be notified not to go to fires. Absolutely not to go to fires. Don't rubberneck. And when there's only two roads out there that, 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 that can carry the equipment, one of them being hoop up that goes, you know, that goes west, that should be closed immediately, you know, uh, and there is a fire there is a fire hall nearby there. They should close that immediately so you can get your trucks out and so that we can evacuate. You know, it was very, very difficult. Um, so what about a, you know, what about publicity telling people how dangerous it is? Maybe they don't care about their own lives, but for the people that are there to be able to get out and for the police and firemen to do their own job. So I would recommend that, that that be part of your your plan. And I, I'm ha- very happy to hear that the city and county are going to be working together because um, uh, there was another emergency in 95 when there was the flood. And we weren't affected because we were so high, but the farmers down in the River Valley, they were affected, and one of them had to be taken away by a heli- helicopter um, because he eventually the flood went around his farm and the helicopter came in. So... I'm happy to see city and county will work together and these different groups. But I think we, as the population, need to know more about our role. So our role, okay, we see something, we report it. Okay, so we don't report it on our cell phone or we tell the cell phone people, you know, you better be paying our fire people because, you know, you're using 911. Um, So maybe there's a bigger role for all of us in this and certainly the role of not going out there and rubbernecking. It was very dangerous. And, you know, there were so many cars at Sunset Acres that if the fire had come quickly, those cars wouldn't have been able to evacuate, the the rubberneckers. They wouldn't have been able to get out. And the last thing I want to say is thanks to the farmers who live just to the um, north of us, because they they did that cultivating, and one of the farmers I know stayed up 12 hours from 3 in the afternoon to 3 in the night, um, cultivating the land and making fire breaks, and thanks to them, because I think they helped to save the city of Lethbridge. Thanks. Thanks very much, and I, I think that's a really important point, is um, neighbors helping neighbors piece was really critical, and you see that in the... Um, in everywhere we have disaster where people step up and check their neighbors, make sure they're doing well, cultivating. They just show up. They're not even asked, and they cultivate around a field. So that was very helpful, and thanks for bringing that point up. On the evacuation piece, um, you know, we did provide really good early information, said stay away. Whether that get br- whether that's broadcast or not on the radio and television um, is optional. So on an emergency alert, interrupting the news broadcast to say to people, stay away, we don't want you in the area. Um, They don't deem that as uh, a reason to set the Alberta Emergency Alert Warning System off. Um, It has some very, very strict criteria. It's immediate threat to life. And if someone that drives into a field that's on fire doesn't recognize the immediate threat to life, I I would hazard to say that they aren't, I don't know how they made it that long to get a driver's license. So I think what's really important is we do go out early. We do tell people stay clear of the area. Um, people's um, nature is such that they want to see what's happening. People want to absorb. They've got YouTube. Uh, they just want more streams of information. Lots of times they want to be the one to put it on YouTube. Um, I can't stop people from getting in the way and harming themselves. 
But we do have we do have lots of discussion around evacuation corridors and which evacuation corridors can we use during an event if we have to clear out, let's say two thirds of West Lethbridge. What will be the corridors and yeah. what will we do? Will you open yeah. up all four lanes of, of Whoop Up Drive coming east? Uh, those are things that are being brought up and being uh, reviewed by our traffic crew to see what's reasonable for us to move people quickly away from the scene. The challenge is with this event because it was so large. Uh, and we didn't have a handle on how big and how far it was going and where it was going. We didn't have an aircraft. Uh, Trevor's approved a helicopter. He'll be at the mayor's office tomorrow to get that for us. But we couldn't get an aircraft from the province to get up in the air. We called our local pilots who are, smalling, are flying smaller aircraft, couldn't get an aircraft in the air to really get a sense of this thing because it was just so large. Um, so one of the things that we're looking at is GPS on our vehicles so that when we know they're on the borders, we can start plotting it on the map. But evacuation corridors are part of our plan updates. They will be part of what we give people. But what we need to know is we can't pre-plan exactly where all the emergencies will occur. We can generalize. We've got a corridor. We have some sensitivity to the rail lines. And the wind directions typically out of the west for us or out of the southwest. So we are starting to plan those pieces adding that layer in and using the chemical uh, modeling analysis software that we've got to incorporate what facilities we have in those zones. So uh, on West Lethbridge, how, how many large um, uh, living facilities, apartment complexes that we can notify folks just in that building that you need to prepare to evacuate and give you information because lots of times those folks don't get anybody knocking on their door. And if you didn't get someone knocking on your door in the county, that's a problem because we haven't gone out and checked to make sure you did leave and left the property and stayed away. We then had people phoning and saying, I'm not leaving because the looters are in here. Okay. So we had some problems wow. with that. People don't want to leave, and they also want to defend in, in their own space, and that's the risk. Only under a local state of emergency can I mandatorily evacuate you. Now, if it was the middle of the night and I needed to go door-to-door -door because your television and radio are not on and you're asleep, and I can't dial your home because the province hasn't uh, legislated the reverse 911 access to your phone number, I can only go door-to-door. -door. That's 15 minutes to 10 minutes per household. And yeah. we asked this question about Slave Lake. If you had to go door-to-door -to, -door to activate an emergency alert, 15 to 10 minutes per door. We didn't have that time. So we were at a real high risk there in the county residence. Again, I say neighbor, look after neighbor. Walk across the street, learn who your neighbors are directly across, and the neighbors on both sides of your house. Because they may be alone, they may be children that are there alone, or they may be a person who's on their own without a vehicle. So we also remind people, get to know your neighbors. So thanks for those points. It's a very, very good slogan for your publicity, neighbor helping neighbor. And I'd say use Twitter to tell people stay away. Thanks. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Uh, Brian, um, with the enormous amount of publicity that uh, emergency services got following 9-11 uh, and, and, and the amount of support that emergency services saw after that, uh, the question I have is, have you seen a significant amount of support uh, publicly for your services? Um, do you feel that uh, emergency services are being adequately funded at a time when there's so much pressure on government for medical services, uh, all the other uh, services that are going along? Um, do you feel that there is sufficient funding uh, going on at the present time? 
Thank you. And uh, I think there's, that's, that's a tough question because I know in my role provincially as the president of the Alberta Fire Chiefs, I'll just talk about what it is for the province of Alberta. And then I'll talk about it locally here. Um, for the province of Alberta, more than 80% of the province geographically um, is covered by people that are from combination volunteer or um, uh, that type of service where the people are just part of a community, they join the fire service locally, they tra take their medical training, they take their fire training, and they become a member of the, the department for a few years. We used to see volunteers last upwards of 20 years. And as of recently now, we've gone from 20 to 15 years, that's the life cycle, down to 10, down to 7. And in some communities, we see about three years for a volunteer. Now, if you can imagine all the hours of training and policies and equipment that we have to go through to put someone in a fire truck or an apparatus out on the street, training how to drive and operate it, and their skills to do their jobs in the field, this is a really, really costly system. And volunteerism is what the backbone of our system has been for many years. The province has done okay with supporting us for training, but there's certainly become a major gap with the numbers of folks that we can get through training, the accessibility for online training, the accessibility to get them practical training within the regions they live in. If we talked about southwestern Alberta, could they come to Lethbridge and take it at our training site? That would be great. But right now, the province isn't adequately resourcing that. And that's my hat of the Alberta Fire Chiefs, supporting those folks. Now, on a local level, I think I've been very, very honoured to have a council over the last few terms that have recognised the importance of emergency services. And with a rational business case and modelling of what's next for this community for fire safety and public emergency planning has been very good. Council's been very supportive. You've seen our new building going up. They've put the best technology that we can have to provide the, the information out from our emergency operations centre that they can. We have good operational equipment. We have good training programs from our systems. And we're also doing a community master plan on our risks. So we're actually looking at all of our hazards in the city. That includes our major industrial, our two corridors, rail and road, air transport. We're taking a look at everything in our community, evaluating it at a real risk. You know, how many resources could we practically put in place and, and not burden the tax system but have a reasonable response system? And that report goes to Council for their digestion and, and action. And, and we know that Council does the right things when they, when they need to when it comes to emergency preparedness and planning. And I'm only speaking of, of my department in the organization. And I felt very well supported the last few years that I've been in Lethbridge. And uh, they certainly recognize how important it is to the community and, and are very critical to make sure that's, that's done and, and we follow through with what we've committed to do for our performance. So I believe it's very well supported. Um, again, I think provincially we have a great opportunity to enhance what we have out there. And intermunicipal cooperation is absolutely critical because they call us when things get really bad. Um, we have really well-trained staff. We have very capable paramedics. And we need to incorporate all of our emergency response plans together and talk in the same language. And FIRE is doing that. We've been doing that for years. We just need to take it up into the emergency preparedness side. Thanks. Hi, my name is Knut Peterson, and I think this might be the last question. Uh, Brian, could you touch upon... Uh, Ambulance service in Lethbridge. Uh, I know there was talk about the province taking all everything, but you managed to keep uh, ambulance service uh, with your department, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, 
We are under contract to provide ambulance services to Alberta Health Services. The contract is a very um, um, uh, complex document with lots of information in it. We have some performance criteria in that contract that we report to Alberta Health Services. They provide some funding back to us to operate the ambulance services. But really, truly now, the decision-making on um, changing levels of services, adding more ambulances, um, medical control protocols, have now been removed off of a local decision-making group, being council or governance, up into the province, into their Alberta Health Services. Uh, we have one provincial medical control group. That's the physicians that direct the paramedics on what medications, what procedures and practices we can carry, and also how we manage some of our patient care in the operational end. What's really interesting is, and I'm glad you brought this up because I'm going to talk about our, this is an anniversary year for us. We've been doing EMS for 100 years in Lethbridge. We are the oldest department in North America that's knowing to be doing EMS. And I'm lucky to be the chief at the time we get to celebrate our 100th year. We'll be doing it in June this year. But there's one thing I have to say. The efficiencies of our system are incredible. When you talk about the ability to take an entire fire crew and involve them in a medical call, being a cardiac arrest, a shortness of breath, or a choking patient, and we work as one team. We are one unified group, and it's just like watching the very, very best of a ballet. You will not see a crew of people work better together in our system. I've been across North America, and as I said earlier, I've been raised as a as emergency person in emergency services with an integrated service model and it works it works well and it's very effective and it's cost effective because there's one taxpayer I see out there and that's one taxpayer in the house in Lethbridge whether we're paying Alberta Health Services or paying the city of Lethbridge um, there's one taxpayer so we have to do it as best as efficient as we can and I think our model rates amongst the very very best in North America I've been asked to speak in Ontario to the Ontario Fire Chiefs. These are things that are going on in Ontario. I just got asked by a consulting firm to work with Toronto. Uh, they want to merge EMS and fire oops, back together in Toronto. They want to bring it together. They see the efficiency of that. So thanks for that point. We are doing very well. Um, we have a good relationship with Alberta Health Services. We talk on a very, very regular basis. And uh, we've been able to keep our mandate of staying integrated. So I think that's been a very positive thing that our council supported. And, and I certainly know that's important to them because it's important to you folks. I, like I, I do get to give the calendar out, don't I? Yeah. I did, there was okay. one really good question, actually. She was really nice. But I did want to tell you that I'm actually February. And, and I'm, I'm with April. And April, um, she's the, she had a little bit of a weight problem before she got taken in by Windy, Windy City Rescue Society. And this was a project we did with Windy City. Uh, they asked us to do some photos with them, and, and people came in and did these photos. It was great. It was a lot of fun. The dogs were cute. Um, it's a great fundraiser for their organization. So. Well, I'd like to thank Brian for giving us a lot of information in a short time. And um, in the lobby, there's uh, more information that you can take on your way out. Um, and uh, thanks for coming. And next week, it will be religious freedom and foreign policy. Thank you.